0: Amen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to Psalm 119, verse 97. There's an outline in the bulletin where you can follow along. We're going to begin by reading our text for the morning. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97 through verse 104. The Word of God says this, Oh, how I love your law is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Father, this morning, we gather together as your people, and we know that your word says if we lack wisdom, we should come to you and ask for wisdom, we should seek it like treasure. We should trust that you can provide what we lack. And so this morning we come and we acknowledge that we are foolish people and we need wisdom from your word. And so we pray with faith that you would provide what we need, what we lack. Give us wisdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. James Montgomery Boyce was the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1968 up until his death in the year 2000. He's one of my favorite commentators to read, and I have been reading his commentary as we've worked through Psalm 119. He had an interesting comment about the verses that we just read, and I just want to set it in front of you and encourage you to think about this before we even jump into the text. He said, what an uplifting stanza this is, the mem stanza. It's filled with joy and with love for God's law, so much so that there is not even a single petition in it. So one of the things we've acknowledged and we're going to acknowledge is that Psalm 119 is a poem. And we're going to come back to that shortly. But Boyce is right. The entirety of Psalm 119 is also a prayer. And the psalmist has all sorts of things to say to the Lord in this prayer. And it's noteworthy that, at least in this stanza, as the psalmist talks to God, he is not asking God to do anything for him, he's not asking God to give him anything. He's simply talking to God, reflecting about God's goodness, reflecting on the value of God's word. And I think there's an application for us before we even jump in to say that when we think about our prayer lives certainly we have biblical reason to bring our petitions and our requests and our concerns and our anxieties to bring them to the Lord, to ask that God would provide things that we need, to ask that God would be at work in our lives and in the lives of people that we love and we care about. But there also ought to be time in our prayer lives where we talk to God and we experience relationship with God not because we need anything, not because we're asking him to do anything, simply because we're struck by his goodness and by the glory of his word. So something to think about as we jump into the Mem stanza this morning. Psalm 119 is a poem. It's an acrostic poem. It's built on the Hebrew alphabet. We've come this morning to the 13th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So this is stanza 13. Uh, our letter this morning is the letter Mem, it's the M sound in English, and so if you open your Hebrew scriptures, you see all of these verses all the way down this stanza. Uh, each of them begins with a word that begins with the Hebrew letter Mem. All total, 176 verses in Psalm 119, we've acknowledged that almost all of them, not all, but almost all of them make some reference to God's Word. And we've gone through a couple of weeks where we had a verse or two verses that did not reference God's written Word, God's revealed Word to His people, special revelation, what we would call the Bible. But we're back on track this morning. And so if you look at the verses that we just read, the psalmist talks about God's law, His commandment, His testimonies, His precepts, His Word, His rules, His words, and again, His precepts. One last thought before we get to the big idea. I just want to bring to your attention Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. A verse that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's a common theme in the book of Proverbs. If you want to be a wise person, you have to fear the Lord. Now, we actually talked about fearing the Lord a few weeks back uh, In Psalm 119, we talked about what does it mean to fear the Lord. And what we sort of landed on, what we concluded, is that fearing the Lord is the result of seeing God as He is in His transcendent holiness and seeing yourself as a sinner who has fallen far short of God's glory. And that when you see God in his holiness and when you see yourself in your sinfulness the result of that is fearing the Lord is fearing the Lord obviously those are gospel truths you have to understand God's holiness you have to understand your sin before you ever understand anything about Jesus Christ and who he is why he walked on this earth why he died on a cross for sinners what it means to repent and believe those are fundamental basic biblical truths not only for the gospel but also for being wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that brings us to the big idea. Very simple. The Word of God gives wisdom to the people of God. When we come to God's Word, we find a source of wisdom. And the reason that we find wisdom in God's Word ought to be obvious to you. It's the Bible that speaks clearly to us about God and His holiness. Left to ourselves, looking at creation, we can know there is a God, there's a Creator, someone made this, He's powerful, but the Bible speaks clearly to us, revealing God's character and telling us that He's holy. Left to ourselves, our conscience can show that we've fallen short of what we know to be right and wrong. But when we come to the Scriptures, it's where we find a clear and accurate description of who we are as sinful people. The Bible clearly lays out the holiness of God and our sin. And as a result, we fear the Lord when we walk away from this book with the right understanding. And when we fear the Lord, we arrive at a place of wisdom. So the big idea is that the Word of God gives wisdom to the people of God. let me tell you a quick story. Uh, read about a man this week named George Wishart actually read about two men named George Wishart as I started researching the one I found stories about the other and I started to mix them together before I realized there's actually two men from church history. That That you ought to know about named George Wishart. One was born in 1513 and died in 1546. You can see from the date of his life that he lived through the Protestant Reformation. And he lived in Scotland and he was an early leader in the Protestant Reformation in Scotland. And he was burned at the stake. For his Protestant faith. So that's George Wishart number one. The one that I want to tell you about is George Wishart number two. He's very confusing, also a Scotsman, lived many years ago, but some 150 years after the first George Wishart, 1599 to 1671. This George Wishart was the Bishop of Edinburgh. And during his lifetime, there was still great conflict between the the Catholic church and the Protestant uh, churches and the political powers aligning in different ways. And so, like his namesake, this second George Wishart was persecuted for his faith. And at one point in his life, the legend has it that he was condemned to die and that he was sent to the scaffold and that he was awaiting execution on the scaffold. And that he availed himself of a custom of the day that someone who was condemned to die was allowed to pick one psalm to be sung before he was executed. If you were about to be executed, you could pick one psalm and they would sing it before they killed you. So what would you pick? Maybe you would pick Psalm 117, two verses. Maybe you'd say, let's just get it over with. We're here, why prolong the misery? Two verses, short and sweet, off to meet my Lord. George Wishart, according to legend, picked Psalm 119, all 176 verses. And the legend is that before they were two-thirds through singing Psalm 119, a pardon arrived from a higher power and his life was spared. And I'm just sharing that with you this morning in case you ever find yourself on the scaffold and you're trying to pick a psalm. Maybe you want to go with the two verses, short and sweet. Maybe you hope that someone will send in a pardon at the last minute and you'll go with 119. Certainly highlights, if true, the wisdom of George Wishart in knowing that a pardon was on its way and he needed to buy time. Now, here's the honest truth. If you're going to live in this world, you are going to need wisdom for all sorts of things, all sorts of situations, all sorts of circumstances You need to be a wise person. The Bible is clear that if you are a fool, life is much more difficult for the fool than for the wise person. Does that mean life is easy if you're wise? No, not necessarily. But it just means that being a fool makes life much harder than if you have wisdom. There's all sorts of big questions that every person Every worldview has to answer questions like these. Who, who is God? Who is God? Who are you? What's real? Where did you come from? What's time? What's the meaning of history? Is it linear in one direction? Is it cyclical uh, in a cycle? How should we live our lives? How do we understand family? How should we think about politics? All of these questions are basic worldview questions that you will answer some way, somehow. If you don't give serious thought to these questions, you'll just be swept along by the currents of whatever culture you live in, and you'll just take in whatever they tell you and whatever you see on social media and whatever you watch on movies or whatever you stream online, all of those things will just shape your worldview, and you won't even realize that you've answered all of these questions. But the person who wants to have biblical wisdom doesn't want to just float along with the currents of culture. That person wants their worldview to be shaped by Scripture. They want to be wise according to God's Word. And so our aim this morning is not to answer all of these worldview questions, but it is to listen to what the psalmist has to say about God's Word and wisdom in this Mem stanza. So we'll start with this question. What kind of wisdom do we find in God's Word? What kind of wisdom do we find in the Bible? Number one, we find a wisdom that is greater than the wisdom of the world. It's a wisdom, God's wisdom, in His Word, that is greater than the wisdom of the world. Notice what he says in verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. In the context of the book of Psalms, if you just read the entirety of Psalms, not just 119, but the whole book, When the psalmists refer to their enemies, pretty consistently they're talking about non-Jewish people, Gentile people, pagan people. People who do not worship Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. People who do not believe that God spoke to His people in the Torah. Uh, People that do not believe that God saved a people for His own possession to serve Him and to know Him and to worship Him out of Egypt and established them as a nation. Those are the enemies of the psalmist. And very simply, the psalmist says that he is wiser than his enemies. It's not because his enemies are dumb and he's smart. It's because he listens to God's word and they don't. He has wisdom. They're foolish. Your commandment makes me wiser. Not my own cleverness, but your word makes me wiser than my enemies, the people who reject the truth about the one true God. So number one, what kind of wisdom do we find? A wisdom greater than the wisdom of the world. Number two, we find a wisdom that is greater than the wisdom of man. A wisdom greater than the wisdom of man. Look at verse 99. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. I have more understanding than all my teachers. If you've ever taught middle schoolers, you know that they agree with this verse. I have more understanding than all of my teachers. Maybe the psalmist here just slips into seventh grade middle school boy mode, and he's thinking, I know everything there is to know about everything. You don't have anything to teach me. I've got it all figured out. I don't think that's what he's trying to say. I don't think that's what the Holy Spirit's inspired him to write here. I think he's acknowledged that there have been people who have taught him along the way in his life. And I think he values those people. But I think as he has turned to the Word of God, he has found a transcendent source of wisdom that is greater than what any one human being has to offer. Can I just tell you that it's really good news for you that this is true? that there is a source of wisdom greater than any one teacher. You understand, there are a lot of people who stand up in pulpits on Sunday mornings, and they have racked their brain in the previous week to come up with things that you might think are funny or interesting or creative or to say something new or something innovative And they are relying on their wisdom as they stand before God's people. You understand, in our church, our approach to teaching and preaching is that I don't really want to say anything innovative or new or creative or something that you've never heard before, that's never been said before in all of church history. We just want to open the book, the Word of God, and say what it says. We want to explain it. We want to wrestle with it. We want to apply it to our lives. But most basically, what an expository sermon is, is reading a text from God's Word and then saying to God's people, this is what the Bible says. That's good news for you because you don't have to rely on my wisdom. You have the opportunity to grow beyond anything that exists in my head. And most of the time, I feel like there's not much rattling around up there. But that's okay for you as long as me or Corey or Jake or Chris or Ron or whoever's standing on this platform opens this book, reads this book, and says to you, let me tell you what the Word of God says. may not be creative, may not be the funniest thing you hear all week long, but it's wisdom rooted in God's Word. So what kind of wisdom do we find? In God's word. It's greater than the world. It's greater than the wisdom of man. Number three. It's greater than the wisdom of experience. Greater than the wisdom of experience. Verse 100. I understand more than the aged. For I keep your precepts. I had a conversation at my house this last week. I won't tell you who was sharing it, but we had some family over. And somebody made the observation, you know, young kids today working at Wendy's or Market Street or wherever, they don't know how to count back change. Yeah, some of you are saying, yes, this is the great problem with the world today. Young people, they don't know how to count back change. They just wad it up and hand it to you and Maybe they don't even look you in the eye. You know, back in my day, it was said in this conversation, we knew how to count back change. We had to count it back, and here's how you did it. You looked them in the eye, on and on and on. You understand, that's sort of the mindset that says, older people, older, have more wisdom than younger people. And you understand that there is some truth to that. Living life gives you the opportunity to learn all sorts of things. Now, you may or may not learn all the things that you have the opportunity to learn in your life. Just because you're older doesn't mean you've learned all the lessons that life should have taught you along the way, but you've certainly had more opportunity to learn from your experiences. And many times, older people feel like they have a, a reservoir, rightly so, of wisdom that they would like to pass down to younger generations. The psalmist here says, I understand more than the aged. I don't think he's being disrespectful to his elders. I don't think he's saying those old people all have dementia. I think he's saying something similar to what he said about his teachers. I think what he's saying is, there's things you can learn from experience, and you can learn from other people who have learned from experience But there's a greater source of wisdom than just experience. And you don't have to learn everything the hard way when it comes to wisdom. There's actually a book that you can open that answers some of the most basic and fundamental questions that you might ask about yourself and about life. And he's found that source of wisdom. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. So this is a good wisdom. Greater than the world, greater than human wisdom, greater than experience. How do we get it? How do we receive this wisdom? Let me just show you a few things in the MIM stands. Number one, the people of God receive this wisdom by meditating on God's Word. They meditate on God's Word. Verse 97, it's my meditation all the day. Verse 98, it's ever with me. You understand that doesn't mean that he's carrying around a Torah scroll under his arm all day long with him. And it doesn't mean he's got a smartphone where he can pull it up and have access to it. He means it's with him in his mind and in his heart. He has stored up God's word in his heart so that he might not sin against God. Your word is ever with me. I meditate it all day long. Uh, verse 97, it's ever with me. Verse 98, your testimonies are my meditation. So we've talked about this a lot. I just want to remind you very basically that Christian meditation is not emptying your mind. It's not saying, man, i got a bunch of stuff in my head right now. I just need to clear my head. I'm just going to go for a walk or I'm going to sit Cross legged and close my eyes and hum and hold my hands up, and I'm going to try to empty my mind and sort of clear all my thoughts. That's an Eastern view of meditation that is filtered into American culture. In Hindu culture, meditation is known as dhyana. Dhyana. And in dhyana, the aim is to be still and quiet. And to empty your mind to the point that you realize and you experience the fact that Atman is Brahman. That your tiny little piece of soul is actually part of the universal soul of God. It's a pantheistic religion. Empty your mind so that you understand that you are really part of the divine. That's Hindu meditation. Buddhist meditation is similar but slightly different because it's a different worldview. In Buddhist meditation, the aim is to be still and to be quiet and to empty your mind and to be very uh, aware of oneself and maybe use a mantra on repeat just to sort of uh, level all your thoughts out. And the goal, this is less hopeful than Hinduism, is not to realize that your soul is part of ultimate reality but is to realize that ultimate reality is nothingness. And to realize that all of the suffering in your life is an illusion. It's not real. It's an illusion. Empty your mind so that you can understand these things. Hindu and Buddhist meditation has nothing to do with what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 119. When he says, I'm going to meditate on your word. Biblical meditation is actually the complete opposite of Eastern meditation. Rather than trying to empty your mind, in biblical meditation, you're trying to fill your mind. You're trying to fill your mind with God's Word. So how would one go about doing that? Would you go for long nature walks? Maybe. Would you sit cross-legged and hold your hands up? Probably not. I think you should start by reading your Bible. Open the Word of God and read it. That's step one in biblical meditation. Step two might be listening to it. Everyone in this room knows for a fact that there are Bible apps that will read the Bible to you. Do you know how we know that? One of them reads in the middle of service every week. Somebody opens it up, they're trying to pull the Bible, they accidentally hit the button, it takes off reading. You know it, I know it. It's a good way to listen to God's Word. It shouldn't replace reading God's Word in your life, but it's certainly something that could come alongside it, to listen to it, to fill your mind with God's Word. What about singing? We've talked about singing in Psalm 119. Singing is an amazing way to get words in your head. When you learn a song, it's there. And you can go 20, 30 years without hearing that song. It pops on the radio, and you pick up just like it was nineteen eighty. Sing it. There's people who put the word of God to music. So you can find some of these artists and you say, I'm going to listen to this because I'm going to put it in my head and I'm going to lock it in there so that it is with me everywhere I go all the day. Read it, listen to it, sing it, write it. This is helpful for me. It's just to write it. You don't need to write it because you don't have your own copy or because you don't have access to it, but there's something powerful in my brain about writing something out that makes me slow down and think about what I'm writing and think about the relationship of the words in the verse that you're writing out. Memorize it. Memorize it. We always say, I can't memorize. Can't memorize. I've lost my ability to do that. Kids can memorize. I can't memorize Most of the time, our inability to memorize is our stubbornness and refusal to meditate. Fill your mind with God's Word. That's how you receive God's wisdom. You meditate on His Word. How do we receive this wisdom? Number one, we meditate. Number two, we keep it. We keep it. Look at verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Verse 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Verse 102, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. If he's not going to turn aside from it, he intends to keep it. Let me just take those three verses without walking through the grammar of each of them. Let me just give you two thoughts that I think reflect what the psalmist is trying to say here. Number one, in your life. God's word will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from God's word. Those two things work together. Commit yourself to God's word. That will help keep you away from sin. Harden your heart. Chase sin. Odds are that's going to keep you away from God's word. Here's a second thing that's true based on what the psalmist says here. There is wisdom available to you in the Word of God. But it is a wisdom that in some sense is completely inaccessible until and unless you commit yourself to keep God's Word. We're not talking about earning your salvation. We're not trying to talk about working your way into heaven. We're clear on the gospel that God is holy and we're sinful. The only way we can be reconciled to God is through the death uh, and the resurrection of His Son and putting faith in Jesus. It's all God's grace. It's only faith. It has to be in Jesus. It's not according to our good works. But this is a biblically true principle. There is a wisdom in God's Word that you will only be able to avail yourself of when you commit to keep it, to live it. You can listen to world-class Bible teachers on podcasts or YouTube. You can go out and buy a, a Greek grammar and a Hebrew grammar, and you can study the Word of God in the original languages. You can memorize this book front to back. You can read a library full of theology books, and you can still miss the wisdom contained in this book, because the wisdom contained in this book becomes yours when you commit yourself to keeping it, to living it. I don't think this is really that revolutionary uh, of an idea. Ladies, how many of you would like to meet me out in the hallway afterwards for tips on how to fix your hair? I live with a lot of women, but I don't know anything about that. And you know it, don't you? Those of you, not all of you are, but those of you who are fitness buffs and you like to run, would you like to meet with me after the service, someone who hates running with everything in my being? so that I can tell you how to run? Did you know I had a daughter this year who ran cross-country for the very first time, just walked off the street, ran cross-country. She did really, really good for her first year, and I would go to these races, and I would give her all kinds of advice. She didn't listen to any of it. She shouldn't have listened to any of it. What do I know about running? I've watched a YouTube video on it. Let's talk to somebody who runs, If you want advice on running, you want to find a wise person, don't find somebody that can answer all your Bible questions. Find somebody whose life is actually shaped by the Word of God. Yes, they know it, but they've also committed themselves to keep it. How do we receive this wisdom? Meditation, keeping, number three, learning. They learn God's Word. If you're in sales, the mantra of a good salesman is ABC, always be closing. Got to close that sale. Got to make the deal. If you're a Christian, one of your mantras ought to be ABL, always be learning. Always be learning. One time, a lady in Odessa told me that she didn't have a lot of use for big church or Sunday school, because she had learned everything that she needed to know about God's Word. And I just stepped back, looked for the lightning to come down. I thought, my goodness, you've learned everything. Everything. Can I be honest with you? This week, Jake Graves came in my office. Jake's going to preach one Sunday in November. It was one of the Sundays that we were to be in Israel, and the trip is still canceled, or the trip is canceled. And uh, Jake came, and he said, I guess you're going to go ahead and take it. And I said, no, 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 you're up. You're preaching. This is your week. And so we were talking about his text, and he came in, and we opened to the verses where he's going to preach and uh, we're just sort of kicking ideas around, talking about the verse. And right out of the gate, I sort of popped off and said something about the text. I was looking in one of my Bibles. I had some notes, and I looked at one of my brilliant, insightful notes. And I, and I said, oh, I hope you caught this. And he said, no, I, I caught that, I caught that. I, I read that in this book, and I read it in that book. And uh, so we kept studying. We kept talking. And then we got some other tools out, some other resources. We started looking at some of the original Hebrew words and... I had to look at Jake Graves as we looked further and say, what I just told you is completely wrong. I mean, I had taken my Bible, my study Bible with the the margins on the side, and I had made this little note and circled the verse and wrote this thing. And I thought, yeah, that's that's good. That's insightful. And then as we talked and asked questions and answered questions and looked things up, I realized, that's completely wrong completely wrong. In that situation, what gets scratched out of your Bible? Think about this carefully. When something that you believe bumps up against God's Word, and you feel that tension of, does that verse really say that? I've never noticed that. What gets scratched out? I can tell you, we sat in my office and I took my Bible and I did not scratch out anything from Psalm 119, but I scratched out my notes. Why? Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your word is settled. So that settles it. My notes and my thoughts are like Grass. It's here, and then it's gone. God's Word endures. Always, always be teachable. Now listen very carefully before we move to the last question. When I ask you to be teachable, that doesn't mean you play dumb. That doesn't mean you buy into the postmodern nonsense of You can't know anything, I can't know anything, it's just what you think compared to what I think. Who knows what's true? It's maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Is there anything as truth? That's not what we're saying when we say be teachable. We're not saying you just go along with the nonsense that no one can know anything, there's no absolute truth. It's not that kind of faux humility. That exists in so many scholarly circles today. But it's the humility to say God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. And my aim in life is to bring my thinking and my feeling and my speaking and my living in line with his word. Because his word is unchanging. This is how you get wisdom from the Lord. You're always learning. Always learning. What's the end game? What's the result of all this wisdom? that we might avail ourselves of in God's Word. What is the result of receiving this wisdom? Two thoughts. Number one, God's people love God's Word. And number two, God's people hate false ways. This is where you end up when you have the wisdom that we're talking about. You find yourself loving God's Word. Sometimes the psalmist says he delights in God's Word. Notice what he says in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. He loves it. Jump down to verse 103. He describes it like this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. psalmist lived in a world without giant bags of Halloween candy. Lived in a world without Coca-Cola. Lived in a world without Reese's peanut butter cups. But he thinks about God's word and he thinks about how sweet it is. And he thinks about the sweetest thing that he can imagine. Honey from the comb. And he says, that's sweet. But there's something even sweeter. Something I love even more than that. And it's God's word. The corollary or the related truth to that is that he hates every false way. And he just says that at the very end, verse 104. May be a surprising ending for some of you. He says, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, here's the result I hate every false way. My suspicion is that most of us living in the United States of America in a postmodern culture, we are so worried and afraid. That non-Christian people will look at us and say, you're judgmental, you're hateful, you're narrow-minded, you're bigoted. That we're very slow to say that we hate false ways. And we want to qualify this and we want to sort of nuance that and we want to be very careful with our words and above all we want people to think that we're nice people, we're friendly people. I don't think the psalmist would want you to be hateful or ugly. But when the psalmist thinks about the Word of God, on the one hand, he thinks about how he loves it and how sweet it is. And on the other hand, he looks around at all the false ways and he says, I hate, I hate those things. I hate those false worldviews and their lies about the most important issues in life. I hate those false teachers who say that you can earn your way into heaven. I hate those people who claim that you can, uh, you can be good enough to earn your way with God. He has hatred for every false way. I think the world struggles to understand why Christians would love the Bible. I think the world has some understanding... That Christians are people of the book and we want to base our lives on the Bible, but I don't think they really have a great understanding of why we would love this book. And I think it's because most non Christians think about the Bible as one big rule book do these things, be good, maybe you'll get to go to heaven someday. You and I know if you've read it, there's rules in this book, lots of rules. We also know that we're not very good at keeping any of them, that we've fallen far short of God's glory, and we love this book not just because of the rules in it, but because of the story that runs from Genesis to Revelation, story of a God who gave rules to His people, people who failed to keep those rules, and a God who in grace and mercy sent His Son to live for us and to die for us, that we might have life and that we might have wisdom. When you understand God's word in that sense, you love it. You think that it's sweet. This is what the apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God.